0: One thing that I don't think I'd ever have the stomach for is running for office. I've always got a little soft spot for those who are willing to put their name out there and try, as they may, to become a candidate or dare we say a mayor, an MPP, prime minister, what have you. Seconds away for being uh, joined by Adil Shamji and one of the things that he's bringing up is an additional stat holiday for those of us here in the province of Ontario. And the reasoning behind it I think is really engaging and I think it makes a lot of sense. So I'm so glad that we have the doctor on today. Uh, Mr. Shamji, thank you for joining me today. How are you? I'm doing really well. Thanks so much for having me. How are you doing? Well, I'm well. And I like it when somebody has their heart in the right place. And your release came across my desk a little bit earlier. And, you know, when you first see a politician say, well, we're going to try and get a stat holiday. I'm sitting there and I'm like, all right, well, here comes a political promise. But then I started to dig in and realized why you thought this would be a good idea for Ontarians. Why don't you walk me through it?
1: Yeah, totally. I mean, Ontario is an amazing place. And one of the things that makes it so incredible is just it's unbelievable diversity. We have people from over 165 countries, more than one third of us are a visible minority. But the problem is that our current system of statutory holidays, there are nine that are recognized. They don't represent and reflect all of us. Uh, and so, you know, if you, you know, if you celebrate or commemorate something like Diwali, Eid, Rosh Hashanah, or if you're Indigenous and commemorate Truth and Reconciliation Day, there isn't actually a a way for you to have protected time off to celebrate or commemorate those days. And so the system currently is unpaid, unpredictable, and unfair. And so what I came forward with is a proposal that every person in Ontario would get one flexible or floating holiday that they could could identify of their choosing at the beginning of every year. They would register that with their employer. And then when your holiday comes, you get to have that day off with pay or if, uh, you know, for various reasons, if you choose to pay, you get to go um, and, uh, and accumulate a, a small amount of premium pay. It's about treating everybody the same way and not just, you know, celebrating the same nine statutory holidays that many people in Ontario don't identify with.
0: A couple of my friends are Muslim, and I know that Ramadan, you know, takes away some of the pleasantries as far as when you're fasting, things that, you know, you might consume for the rest of the year. And I remember the final day and they, you know, just fasting from dawn to sunset and the challenges that came with that. And at the end of it, what a big deal it was, a special moment for their family and friends. And then I thought from an employment standpoint, for them to have to use one of their sick days or take a day off to do it, and they wouldn't get paid for it. Uh, I never really thought about it until I read your press release that, yeah, they would have to go out of their own pocket to do that. So this, to me, would make a lot of sense.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, the Ontario Human Rights Commission says that employers have a duty to accommodate someone's someone's creed or faith. But for many people, especially if they come from a visible minority, it's really difficult to have that discussion with their employer. Um, And on a truly celebratory occasion like Eid, when people want to come together It just strikes me as unfair that people have to assume that financial burden on their own. The amazing thing is, you know, days like Eid or or Diwali or, you know, uh, or Nauru's Lunar New Year, uh, if you come from an Asian background, these are incredibly celebratory occasions. And when people are able to take the time off with pay, that actually not only is that the right thing to do from a moral, ethical and cultural perspective, But many people with that extra, you know, with those extra dollars in their pocket are going to come together with their families, eat out at a restaurant or exchange gifts. And it actually brings, you know, a more productive workforce when people come back and more dollars in the pockets of businesses as well. So these are the kind of policies that I love the most. They're the right thing to do. They're reasonable. They're pragmatic. And they actually bring a boon to our economy.
0: I don't know how you'll approach this um, question, doctor, but. We're going to be speaking with a couple of mayoral candidates today, tomorrow. We're getting ready to find out who the next mayor of this city is. I know that you are looking to become the premier of this province. What advice would you give to a mayoral candidate in this city who at one point you hope maybe to work with?
1: Yeah. So, uh, you know, I, I think back on, on the things that really guide me in, you know, in, in my effort to serve first as an MPP. I mean, I was first, You know, by profession, I'm an emergency physician and it feels as though I have gone from, you know, the most trusted profession to the least trusted profession as a member of provincial (laughs) parliament. But, you know, for me, it's all about being rooted in service and doing the right thing and trying to reach out, listen to how people are living, how they may be uh, experiencing hardship or suffering and genuinely trying, you know, to listen and deliver public policy and government that works best for them. And so, you know, my advice to all of the mayoral candidates would be really to be driven by, number one, listening, and by a mission of service first, standing up for things that really matter to all of us. And I think when we do that, I think we can encourage people to believe in government again. And, you know, doing the right things ultimately will lead to people believing in, you know, a particular mayoral candidate, uh, you know, for elected office. And so I think being driven by values And service and listening first will bring all of the things that they're hoping for in terms of getting elected.
0: I think that's amazing that you used to be an emergency physician and then decided to go into politics because of service. Not a lot of people would do that. But I I have to ask you about the moment that you decided to do this. I mean, I know that's a long term play, but when was the moment that you sat at the kitchen table and said, you know what, I'm going to switch this up. It wasn't when you were in the Arctic. When did you make that decision? (laughs) Well,
1: you know, honestly, it was an accumulation of frustration over, you know, about a decade of clinical practice because my patients were sick because public policy and government wasn't working well for them. I mean, the the prototypical example would be, you know, treating an Indigenous person who is, you know, who is suicidal because of their homelessness and poverty and treating them with antidepressants or talk therapy wasn't going to cut it if I didn't solve those root problems. And so... It, you know the real breaking point for me was working in the emergency department during covid-19 and in my opinion seeing that there was a government that was very actively and predictably making decisions that were making it more difficult for healthcare workers and for a healthcare system to be able to respond to an unprecedented pandemic and so out of frustration out of years of trying to get the ears of policymakers and politicians and just being ignored I felt as though I had absolutely no choice but to take the reins myself and stand up for elected office.
0: Doctor, walk me through this because I think there's a lot of us that think we know about the healthcare industry and the and the burnout right now that's taking place with a lot of our physicians and nurses and, and really any staff within the walls of a hospital. But can you put a face to it? Walk me through some of the things that maybe you saw during the pandemic that maybe the public doesn't know about. I I have a nurse in my family, and she always tells me that the job description and what she physically does when she walks into the hospital are two different things because she doubles up on a lot of things. There's a lot of promises from the Ford administration, but they really never see the light of day because in real time, those policies usually just get left on paper.
1: Well, you know, what I will say is I had a number of roles as an emergency doctor during the pandemic. And one of them was to look after the wellness of my ER group. One of the things that I literally had to do was organize group psychotherapy with a psychiatrist for my group, you know, for for the emergency department that I was working in, just because of the scale of tragedy that we were dealing with. I mean, in the middle of the pandemic, when our hospitals were on lockdown and we were literally at the point of having to triage our resources, our ventilators, our hospital beds, because we had so many people coming in and dying of the, you know, dying of COVID-19. I can think personally of many of the times when I was with critically ill patients, um, you know, having to put them to sleep, put them on a ventilator, knowing I was likely going to be the last person that they saw alive, and being the only person apart from some nurses in the room with them, sometimes holding up a phone so that they could have some last words with their family. But knowing that I was likely the last one that they were going to see. And then having to relive that over and over again, mul- you know, through multiple patients over the course of two to three years of the pandemic as just, you know, a single example. And then against that backdrop, you know, especially for many of our other healthcare workers like nurses, PSWs, you know, to face uh, wages that haven't risen with inflation. In fact, that have been unconstitutionally limited to 1% raise per year. To have had some professions offered briefly pandemic pay and others left out altogether. To be experiencing, you know, unimaginable mental health and burnout challenges. You know, I'm happily married, but I've often told my wife that I actually have two families. There's her, uh, our dog, and my parents and, and, and the rest of my immediate family. And then there's the family that I work with in a hospital. And, you know, that is another family altogether because the things that have been experienced You know, walking people through their last moments, uh, you know, of their life uh, in unprecedented circumstances, it's very hard for anyone, really, to be able to imagine or appreciate. And so, to every person that's out there on the front lines, my heart goes out because, you know, it may feel as though the pandemic has lightened, but we're going into another summer of emergency department closures of entire communities that don't have anyone to respond when a patient calls nine one one, and we. You know, healthcare workers, all of us, We these are system-wide issues that I now, as a member of Provincial Parliament, are trying to fix. But we are the face of that as healthcare workers, and we bear that burden every day. And it's an unbelievably difficult, uh, it's an unbelievably difficult challenge.
0: Yeah, you paint a really interesting picture, and I, I'm so glad you were so eloquent in the way that you said it, because I just think, again, news can sometimes be very broad stroke brushes, and I just... I love being able to put a face or a story to a situation, and I think you did that wonderfully. I thank you very much for your time. I wish you well with both this potential statutory holiday and just everything that you're doing in your community. Thank you for your time, Dr. Shamji. Thank you very much for having me. Have a great day. All right, we'll do just that. Dr. Adil Shamji, MPP for Don Valley East,